You're listening to the Christian Humanist Podcast, a philosophical, critical, confessional, interstitial, theological, and always delectable conversation between Christian intellectuals. Your hosts are three Christian college professors, Michael Farmer, David Grubbs, and Nathan Gilmore. week's Christian Humanist podcast, our our hundredth episode, and so we're we're going to be a bit celebratory today. I'm David Grubbs, professor of English at Central Christian College of Kansas in McPherson, Kansas, where I am enjoying spring break. Um, but with me, in presumably not on break, so far as I know, is assistant professor of English Michael Farmer uh, from Crown College in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. How are you, Michael? I'm pretty good. My spring break is actually next week, so I'll be on spring uh, break when this posts. Okay, cool. whole lot of breaking going on. And also with me is Nathan Gilmore, assistant professor of English at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing well, and I've already had my spring break, so... I've already gotten all that frivolity out of the way. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of frivoling going on here. <laughs> cool. Well, I my wife and I went to a, a little museum in Wichita yesterday that, interestingly enough, had Grecian urns, and so. <laughs> did you did yeah. you stop the uh, tour guide and explain that you know all about Grecian urns? No, no, that there was not occasion for that. For, fortunately, it was a, it's one of those kind of self-guided museums where you're expected to wander around and actually read what things are. Um, so I, I, I lingered over it for a while. Anywho, uh, have we got any feedback that we want to address? Not this week. I mean, because of our weird posting recording schedule, the last episode went up like four hours ago. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, yeah. people would have to listen pretty quickly. <laughs> be, on, uh, be be really, really motivated to give us feedback. More importantly, I have not yet been fired from my remarks last week. Yes. Although I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that axe to fall. <laughs> well, we, we we hope that it does not. Because I, I, I really think you overestimate the uh, uh, the tenor of your comments. They were... Well, quite if, quite circumspect. If they fire me, I can always get a job for uh, University of Phoenix. <laughs> uh, if you don't get the irony of that, dear listener, listen to the previous episode and then reconsider. Right, or look at the topic heading for episode ninety nine, and you'll get it. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, if we don't have any feedback, um, I guess that leads us into our discussion for the day. Uh, this is our hundredth episode and I was, uh, I, this was, this was to be my, an episode at which I was at the helm in the normal rotation. And so I racked my brain for things having to do with hundreds. Um, and it suddenly hit me that, uh, the old 100th, uh, I don't know why I thought that, but the old 100th is the name of the tune, uh, to which we sing, uh, what's what's commonly called the doxology uh, in 
I guess most Protestant churches, yeah. Which mm-hmm. which tune mm-hmm. is that, David? Because I've been to churches where they where they uh, I've been I've heard several different tunes set to the doxology. Are you talking about da 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 da? da? Um, I think it's the da 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 da. da. Yeah, you did the first line. And I'm yeah, the Michael did the last. Yeah, so that's uh, it. <laughs> but I, Michael I was doing the, the organ lead in. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think that's the one that's the old 100th. Anyway, um, like, th- yeah, that's that, what I assumed it was. Yeah. Well, but it mainly served to to kind of link things in my brain, and so I got thinking about the doxology and the idea of of doxology as an act itself. Um, just wanted to give a little hat tip today. Um, turns out that we're recording this after after I'd picked doxology as a topic inspired by the doxology. Um, turns out that today is the anniversary of the death of uh, Thomas Kinn, Bishop of Bath. Um, who is the uh, the one who wrote the hymn uh, to which the doxology is uh, the last verse? Um, two hymns, actually. Uh, we we would not have I I would not have known that had it, had not. Um, did you notice this, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, I picked it up actually off of Fred Sanders who had posted it. Uh, I I don't know if it was to his Pathios blog, but I picked it up because he's on my Facebook feed. Yeah, it's what what you know what you the link you sent me is 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 this is to uh, the Tory Honors Scriptorium blog, right? So, so anyway, that was that was not planned, but uh, yeah, Thomas Ken, Bishop of Bath, uh, died in seventeen eleven. Um, wrote uh, wrote two hymns, um, one to be sung in the morning, one to be sung at night. And what we call the doxology now is the last verse of both of those hymns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be interesting, uh, dear listener, to look those hymns up and see what the doxology looks like in those contexts. But either way, um, it's a good idea to begin and end the day with praise, yeah? Yeah. Uh, so, um, that that was our inspiration, but first, I guess, uh, maybe we ought to define terms more generally. Um I'll leave that up to you, Nathan. You're, 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 you're my, my, my word guy frequently. So, can you give us a definition of doxology, in particular, what it would look like in a biblical context? Yeah, actually, doing some of the philological work on this was fascinating because I had always been troubled by the fact that there is a word in uh, Platonic dialogues, doxa, uh, which means uh, belief as opposed to true knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there is uh, the biblical doxa, which seems to be more along the lines of glory. Uh, and then there is doxazo, which is the verb for to praise. And then there is docheo, the verb for to seem. And I thought, okay, are these two, you know, coincidental streams of etymology? Well, it turns out that they're they actually share a common root. Uh, I did do the the philological legwork on that. And if you think about the relationships between those concepts, it actually makes a fair bit of sense. One offers up praise because of manifestations of uh, some sort of reality, uh, and doxology, therefore, is at the same time a logos speech uh, regarding what one believes. It's also speech regarding the glory of a being, 
it's also speech that results from a manifestation of that being. So uh, all of those concepts etymologically play into each other nicely. Uh, doxology is something that, as you said, David, you know, occurs repeatedly in the Bible. Uh, the Psalms, of course, are one good source for that. But the, the passages I'm going to sit on for a couple minutes are not from the Psalms. One of them is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Uh, when the seraphim are surrounding the heavenly throne in the temple vision that Isaiah receives. Uh, I'm, I'm going to recite the Greek just because it actually contains the uh, Greek root that we're looking at. Uh, the Septuagint, of course, is the 3rd century B.C. Greek translation uh, done in the Egyptian city of Alexandria. Uh, but the seraphim around the throne, uh, they say, Hagios, 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 holy, 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 uh, Kurios, Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, uh, Pleres, Pasa, Hege, Tes, Doxes, Altu. Uh, hmm. The entirety of the earth are, is full of the praise of him, or the, or no, 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 not the praise of him, but the glory of him. Hmm. Uh, so in Isaiah, this Doxa, uh, both the, you know, the sense of the appearance uh, and in the sense of the glory is something that pervades the entire uh, the entirety of creation. I mean, to put it briefly, uh, later on, of course, that same uh, Hagias, Hagias, Hagias gets picked up in the biblical apocalypse, the book of Revelation, uh, in which the beings in heaven are once more singing uh, holy, holy, holy. Uh, and again, you know, that verb uh, doxazo appears a number of times as well as the phrase or as well as the noun phrase, uh, doxa. So uh, in the Bible, I mean, what we are talking about is very specifically logos, speech, words, uh, used to frame the doxa glory of God. And it's especially fitting, David, in the Jewish tradition, which, of course, the Christian tradition inherits, uh, in which you have a very strong prohibition against visual images. Now, I realize if we have any Eastern Orthodox listeners, that gets changed with the Incarnation. I am aware of Orthodox theology. If you still feel inclined to write me and tell me I'm ignoring Orthodox theology, go right ahead. You know where the blog is. But uh, <laughs> since we do inherit a strong suspicion of images, of making images of God, uh, it's especially appropriate that we have a long-running tradition of doxa logos rather than mm. doxa ideos for instance, glory image. Uh, instead, we have words that shape glory. So uh, that, that that's your basic etymological rundown. I mean, David, do you have a favorite biblical doxology? Um, well, uh, uh, there's, there's a number of them in various epistles that are pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those, those, those kind of, the kind of the, the farewell doxologies. Um, mm -hmm. But... Uh, and you you've already cited you've already cited the Psalms. Mm -hmm. um, oh, so. and also I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry, and this is also the root of our word orthodoxy, since I just tipped my hat and welcomed hook punches from the Eastern Orthodox among our listeners. Uh, the word orthodox itself is you know the correct belief. So. Again, they're all related etymologically. Sorry, David, I interrupted you. I, Go don't, ahead. I don't think you need to worry about the Orthodox, Nathan. It's not like they get belligerent. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. If 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 it's once bitten, twice shy, I'm not sure what happens after the nineteenth or twentieth bite. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wheel. Um so that's what doxology is. Um and now I guess we sh- we we should we should shift to actually doing some of it. Um and I'm taking my cue from from Thomas Kinn's words here. Um the first line being praise God from whom all blessings flow. And Although from our hundredth hundredth uh, episode, and in particular, we're thinking about this project and and what it's like being being involved in it. Um, the question I'd like to throw uh, first first to you, Michael, is if all blessings flow from God, what blessings have you seen flow to us in this project or through it? I think the uh, the biggest one is the amount of time I have had to spend with areas and ideas and text that I don't I would not otherwise have anything to do with. Mm. So because I am the lone Americanist on our panel, I end up uh, reading a lot more ancient stuff and a lot more British stuff than I otherwise would and uh that is sometimes annoying. <laughs> but it it, it is uh, it, it has been good for me and it's been you know good practice for teaching at a school that's small enough where I have to teach really outside of my discipline a lot. And so there's there's a lot of... I, I make the joke about this on the podcast all the time, that uh, I take you guys, what you say, and I use it in my class and act as though I said it. That's, you know, true sometimes. But it's also true that the conversations we've had on this, because they, they are about things I otherwise wouldn't know about, have really helped prepare me for teaching a broad range of classes. So there's a very practical good practical blessing yeah what about you nathan uh probably what i appreciate most is the fact that we have been able to reach out you know in a an international intercontinental way to people who are interested in these sorts of questions that we're interested in i mean you know i think that all three of us uh enjoyed each other's company while we were all in athens georgia uh having our conversations over coffee while the super specialized seminars were not going on. Um, and, you know, now uh, what's great about it in my mind is the fact that, you know, we've got psychologists from Saskatchewan and, you know, uh, English teachers in Hong Kong and, you know, all sorts of people from all sorts of places and all sorts of walks of life entertaining these questions with us. It's one of those great things where, uh, you know, what the three of us tried to sustain uh, despite geographic separation, uh, has turned into something that has invited more people in. And I think that uh, sort of digital hospitality is something that I've enjoyed most about this project. How about you, David? Mm. Honestly, it's uh, one, one of the biggest things that, that I've gotten out of this, and we've um, you know, hinted at it. Uh, you know, I think we talked a bit in, uh, in the friendship episode. Um, and things like that is, I mean, you, you, you talked about, you know, having conversations over, over coffee, Nathan, but we never did. Not all three of us. Yeah. (laughs) Right. right. I was about to say that, (laughs) you know, we, we, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was friends with Michael and, you know, and I'm, and I was friends with you, Nathan, but 
separately. And I was friends with Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and friends with me. Again, again, uh-huh, again separately. Uh-huh. You know, the, there there was never an occasion until until the podcast that we actually all um, were talking about all these things simultaneously. And, and in fact, we were never in the same room together, as far as I know, until a year after we started the podcast when I was taking my comps. You guys came to visit me in my hotel, I remember. And that, yes, that is, that as is far true. as I know, the first time we've ever been in the same room and thought about it at all. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah. And 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 noted <laughs> noted the fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know. Maybe maybe you know if listeners haven't been you know missed missed the you know maybe the the time that we mentioned that or um or weren't listening listening carefully or forgot um you know this uh this kind of conversation is something that didn't happen until it was a podcast. Um, really, until uh, about. Three months after it was a podcast. Well, (laughs) (laughs) right. So, well, and and the other the other kind of amazing thing is that uh, we've logged far more hours of conversation on the record than off. Yeah. Depending on how you count our frequent Facebook messages back and forth. Oh well, that's true. Fair enough. <laughs> right, because every, every week, listeners, I mean, we exchange, uh, what would you say, Michael, on average, you know, a dozen to three dozen Facebook messages getting ready for each episode. And just talking about this and that, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 that too, that too. Right. So I'm, 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 I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that this is, you know, that this is a, um, a, uh, what would you call, not, uh, not, not a purely, you know, two pole friendship, but a if if you're permitted to have three poles, um, you know, <laughs> geometrically that's difficult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If we have any, uh, if we have any mathematicians listening, if you can figure that out for us, three three nodes, three angle, I don't know, <laughs> triangular, whatever. Anywho, um, a trinary. Yeah, I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm I praise you know I praise I praise God for that because you know I think there's there's something about uh, all three of us together that we all we all kind of warp each other in different ways or or force each other to adjust in different ways that we might not otherwise and I I, I think that's been good for me so so yeah that that's something I'm thankful for. Shifting down to the next line, praise him, all creatures here below. I know this is a little bit of a stretch, um, but I'm going to throw it at you, Nathan, because you're, you're always good at stretching. Um, Michael usually, <laughs> Michael usually just calls me down on it and says that's a stretch. You know, but you 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 try to play, you reach for it. So, can I see this project, the Christian Humanist pro- Podcast Project, as a way in which all creatures here below can praise God? Is that a sure reach? Sure, you can. Yay. No, not for me. <laughs> and actually, real quick story before I get to the question. I I was actually famous for stretching even back as an undergrad as a sort of prank quiz once when we were doing postmodern <laughs> philosophy. Uh, the professor printed out a section of uh, Dada engine text from the postmodernism generator. Listeners, you can find that with a quick Google search. Uh, and said, you know, give a quick paraphrase of this passage. 
I was the only one in the class who actually tried to paraphrase this nonsense prose. Well, you, so. you, you, you were prepared by reading Hegel. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And actually, Michael, Hegel is where I was going to go to answer David's question, so great segue. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the things that Hegel talks about at length in the Phenomenology of Spirit is the idea that the geist of the world uh, is actually something that is a function of human consciousness. Uh, so for Hegel... Uh, you know, operating philosophically, the the collective project of human consciousness is, in a straightforward sense, uh, reality's way of thinking about itself. Uh, so, I mean, you know, starting from there, philosophically, I think that theologically we can take a sideways step and say that, you know, the moment in Genesis where uh, the Lord sets the animals before the man and the names that the man gives them becomes their names— uh, can be a strong, strong theological metaphor, allegory, whatever you want to ha- whatever you want to term it, uh, for the ways that the life of the mind and the life of the intellect can be an act of praise. In other words, you know, giving things names, making sense of things, rendering reality intelligible, uh, is itself something that human beings are good at when we do it well. Uh, we can foul it up certainly because we foul up near everything. Uh, but, you know, it's also something that uh, when we partake in it together, it is doing that which human beings do best. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, what we're doing here uh, is an extension of that. Now, this podcast especially, uh, I think that as a as a verbal act of resistance, if I can sound critical theory here for a minute, David, if you'll allow that. Uh, I think that the Christian Humanist podcast, in the face of a hyper-specialized academy, in the the face of a hyper-secularized academy, uh, the fact that we are doing, uh, what was the phrase from our first season, unapologetically confessional, or did I reverse those? We'll say unapologetically confessional uh, philosophy together, and literary criticism together, and art history together, and doing all of these things in a confessional mode, in a mode that blurs the lines of the hyper-specialized academy, uh, I think that it is a way to offer praise to a God who creates all things and which holds who holds all things together. So, uh, yeah, David, I, I think you pitched that question to the right person because you asked me about a line from the doxology, and I immediately think Hegel and Genesis 2. <laughs> Well, and and that that in its nutshell is exactly the kind of exactly the kind of connections that I I I think kind of demonstrate that we're doing the kind of thing that you're talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. That that we we ask doxology, you know, ask a question about doxology and answer with with Hegel and Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anything Mike, you want to toss in, Michael? Yeah. Okay. Just that uh, just that you seem to describe God as the God of the dilettantes, and I kind of like that. <laughs> well, yes, yes. You know, uh, spiders worship their eight-legged father, I'm sure, and <laughs> I, <laughs> I praise the Lord of dabblers. <laughs> or to, uh, you know, entirely misappropriate uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, I give praise for dabbled things. 
Yeah, just just keep going, Nathan. Let's 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 see how long you can follow this. Oh, you have no idea, Michael. <laughs> well, let's let's stem that tide then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I must admit that the next line, um, praise him above ye heavenly hosts, that, uh, that, 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 that one kind of fought me because I, I was thinking, okay, how many questions about angels can I really ask? Um, can but we then, ask too many without bringing up the head of a pin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good Lord. But, how many, uh, how I, many angels can dabble in the head of a pin? <laughs> None of them. Angels, angels don't dabble. That's a that's a human thing. Hyper specialist. <laughs> um, I remembered a poem, a uh, longer longish poem by Dunn uh, called Litany, um, which first involves uh, praising the persons of the Trinity, and then uh, begins singling out all these different uh, uh, figures in the, you know in among the 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 citizenry of, of heaven, um, angels, uh, patriarchs, apostles, uh, martyrs. And then he gets to this group he calls the, the sacred academe. Um, it could, he could be saying sacred academy, but I've never actually scanned that line to see if, if it demands it. Um, and what she's talking about, uh, the doctors, the, uh, the theologians, the, um, the scholastics and so forth who who went before and uh, opened the scriptures and you know who who praised God with their love of the word but also continue to pray before the throne that we would only listen to the parts that they got right and forget about the parts that they got wrong <laughs> anyway so since I can th- see the heavenly host as including the sacred academy um, which Dunn or which uh, Dante also encourages us to think. Um, I can I can apply the question to them. So Michael, um, if you're thinking about if we're thinking about the sacred academy uh, that's gone before, um, who who would you want to praise God for, and who do you think teaches us how and um, what we should praise for best? I feel like a broken record with this sort of question, and I feel like everybody who's listened to a few episodes is going to know who I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> um, Karl Barth talks about how when he gets to heaven, he's not going to check on Calvin first or Schleiermacher or anybody else. The first person he's going to go check up on is Mozart. And I feel mm. that way about Walker Percy. Mm. Um, out of everybody I've ever read, Percy is probably the one who has shaped my position on the world I'm trying to avoid saying worldview um, most most clearly and uh, I, I I really like almost everything about what he has to say and I feel you know you know you you read people and you you feel like oh this person knew me before before I was knit together in the womb and that's how, that's how I feel reading uh, Percy's novels and even his nonfiction and so he is he is the one the the sacred academician. Is that a right word? Is that a right word? Um, sure. Um, who, for whom I, I owe God the most praise, I think. And then also the long line of Christian existentialists who came before him and are thus kind of my philosophical grandparents. Kierkegaard, um, Bart himself, of course, although I don't think Percy liked Bart that much. Miguel de Unamuno, 
people like that. And then, if uh, if I could be universalist, I would like to praise God for the New York intellectuals, especially Trilling and Jacques Barzun, who uh, who you know weren't Christians. As, uh, Trilling definitely wasn't, as far as I know, Barzun wasn't. But I I think demonstrate a proper relationship that an intellectual should have with the society from which he comes, mm. uh, and th- those are lessons that are easily transferable to the Christian intellectual as well. Cool. What about you, Nathan? Well, uh, Dante famously has uh, two parades of intellectuals in the solar sphere in the paradise. Uh, one line of Franciscans and another of Dominicans. Uh, I, I would want to add my own line of rhetoricians. And I know that isn't actually a monastic order, but run with me here. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, starting with St. Augustine, with the uh, De Doctrina Christiana, uh, moving on up to Erasmus uh, with his Copia and with his Ecclesiastes, not to be confused with the Koheleth biblical book, uh, and then into more ambiguous figures, kind of like the ones Michael was talking about, 20th century figures like uh, Kenneth Burke, Richard Weaver, um, and then, I mean, really, I mean, you know, a couple others who I really think of as uh, rhetoricians, you know, people like C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, all of these people who teach us well to think about words and the word and the ways that words exercise power and also the ways that we can be aware of and therefore, uh, I won't say control because the, the power of words is never completely under control, but at least make sense of the power of those words. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it, that would be my line of, rhetoricians that I hope would be parading about the solar sphere. Uh, as far as other, you know, figures who have, have greatly influenced me, uh, certainly George Herbert has to be among that number, uh, mm. you know, just because of the devotional companionship he's provided for me. You know, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't keep, you know, a daily bread or guideposts on my nightstand. I keep the complete English poems of Herbert. Uh, so, I mean, you know, as far as, uh, forming my imagination, you know, I mean, it's the temple and the book of common prayer that have probably done the most work there. So, oh gosh. And then I'm trying to think of other figures who I, I probably should name lest someone call me an ungrateful. Um, and I'm going to name one that, uh, David, you might find unusual for me to pick out as, an intellectual influence, but it is true that uh, Jonathan Edwards, to a great extent, has formed me as a thinker. Uh, hmm. Not necessarily because I am a Calvinist, because I'm not, uh, but because so much of his writing is done in conversation with the big names of the Enlightenment, and mm. the fact that I, mm-hmm. my own intellectual project, you know, is by and large a response to what I see as some of the big errors of Scottish Enlightenment thinking, uh, I find Jonathan Edwards to be uh, really a pioneer, even if I end up taking a different trail than he does. Mm. So, David, who would you name? Um. Oh, well, pe- pe- people are going to know immediately who I'm going to name first, um, and I might as well just, you know, concede that they're right. I'm going to name Tolkien. Um. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote um, in a 
prologue to uh, one of George MacDonald's uh, novels that McDon- reading MacDonald baptized his imagination um, in some sense. He, he was not yet, um, not yet converted, um, had drifted from the nominal religion of his youth, uh, and partially because he no longer found um, Christianity to be imaginable in some sense. But um, George MacDonald um, opened up a space in his imagination uh, for an appreciation of of goodness and of holiness and a longing for things beyond uh, beyond the, the the purely material in this life. And when I got to Tolkien. Um, it wasn't that I, I wasn't I wasn't a heathen like like uh, like you know Lewis was at that point. I didn't need my bad my my uh, imagination baptized for that reason. Um, really, it was because uh, I was always a daydreamer as a kid, and my imagination was a play was the place where I'd flee. And it can be very easy when you're that kind of person for your imagination to be. Um, to become a kind of anarchic wonderland where you get to indulge in um, what you don't get to do in life. Um, Tolkien, in some sense, taught me that my imagination is a pl- is not a place that is beyond the moral reach of God. Um, by by giving me a, a kind of imaginary world that was also uh, that w- that also worked the same way. And, uh, you know, like Aragorn says in The Lord of the Rings, that, that good and evil are not one thing among men and another among elves and dwarves. It's, it's you know, it's the same good. <laughs> and at the time that I discovered it, that was something I needed. Um, beyond that, guys like Dunn and uh, Augustine, um, you know, taught me... Uh, Taught me, I think, how, how to how to how to love God with my heart and my mind at the same time. Um, that I didn't need to separate those things, and uh, they they they've kind of modeled that for me uh, over the years. And I could just keep on going uh, with with the with the people with the people that I admire that I've benefited from. But I think those 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 three, Tolkien and Augustine and Dunn. Uh, teaching me to love God with my mind, with my heart, with my passions, with my imagination, all those things wrapped up together. So thank you. And they've taught me how to praise too with all those faculties as well, um, that, that praising isn't just something that you do on Sunday morning with the accompaniment of an organ or a guitar these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Will shifting down um, to the next the next line. Uh, I'm going to pitch this at you, Nathan, because you love Trinity questions so much. <laughs> um, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as uh, the next line. And I'm going to give Thomas Kinn the benefit of a doubt and assume that he means more by that line than just praise God in a way that rhymes with the previous line that end with that ended with hosts. <laughs> so, it's also very nice for the meter. Yes. <laughs> um, 
So is praising Father, Son, and Holy Ghost just another way to say praise God? Or is it actually three different things? Is it is it meaningful <laughs> to say it in, in, the, in that expanded way? Can't oh, I just say man. praise God and have done? <laughs> oh, and, I, and I'm, I'm just imagining our listeners right now, David, with fingers ready on keyboards to type in the comments that I've slipped into. <laughs> modalism, tritheism, <laughs> whatever other ism that I always seem to be falling into. So thank you much, David. But... First of all, I would say that, you know, uh, the Trinity uh, is something that is revealed to us indirectly in the text of of Scripture. Uh, I will say that, you know, uh, God by nature is triune, uh, that, you know, Father and Son and Spirit are are all revealed in the text of the New Testament. All right. Uh, Whether you're talking about, you know, the course of the Gospel of John, whether you're talking about certain passages in the apocalypse, whether you're talking about Paul, whether you're talking about uh, the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there are definitely places where this pops up. Now, does it mean uh, simply praise God? Uh, Yes. Does it mean more than praise God? Yes. Uh, So in other words, when we say, you know, um, and, you know, I'm inclined to go to both the Greek etymology here uh, whenever we do praise, whenever we doxatso, uh, we are doing so because of what is manifest. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things about it is we can talk about synthesizing all of those things which are manifest, but we always begin with the content of revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not as if we have an inside track to the, uh, and I'm trying to think of my technical theological terms here, the imminent trinity and therefore we can check our perception of the economic trinity against it. Did I get those straight, David? Yep. Okay, very good, very good. All right. Uh, instead, <laughs> yeah. you know, any any assertion that we make about the imminent trinity is always going to be a function of the economic trinity. All right. So once we've got that down, we can also say that uh, because God manifests as tri- triune, uh, we can meaningfully praise God and we can meaningfully praise Father and we can meaningfully praise Son and we can meaningfully praise Spirit. All of those are going to be functions of the narratives that the Scripture presents us. So when we praise the Spirit, uh, we should always do so in light of what we see in the Acts of the Apostles. When we praise the Son, it should always be the person Jesus Christ uh, who is the incarnate person of the Trinity. Whenever we praise the Father, it should be the creator and redeemer that we see in Genesis and Exodus. Uh, so, in other words, David, you know, I, I, I'm i certain that there's now a catalog of heresies that I've just uh, skirted. <laughs> uh, my hope is that my torrent of qualifiers and bet hedging will save me from too, uh, too many Inquisitor's fires. <laughs> uh, you, you sound you sound you sound pretty safe to me. Um, <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> and and that and that's really all. Uh, that that's that's really what. Um, you know, I, I was I, I, I the answer that I was 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 kind of thinking towards myself is, you know, you know, since I can't, uh, 
I don't have separate individual names for the persons or, uh, you know, all, all I, all I can do is, is look in scripture and say, which things are, are attributed to which persons mm-hmm. and praise them for the things that they do. Um, right. And by the way, listeners, if you've jumped on board recently and you don't understand this inside joke that's going, do a search on the blog for the word Trinity. Uh, sometime, what was it guys? A couple years ago, I, mm-hmm. I wrote a post on my, the terrible palm sweating anxiety that grips me whenever anyone asks me to pronounce on the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you, I think, I think you did a very good. Uh, what, what's the word? Apophatic? Is that? Is that the? That's yeah, the I, word. I, I, yeah, I call I it think, tap dancing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very good. Apophatic job of 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 saying what we can say and carefully fencing off what we can't. <laughs> okay. Well, good then. I'm, I'm glad I did at least that well. <laughs> you want to toss anything in, Michael? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, right. I don't well, talk about the Trinity. Uh, <laughs> What's the old saying? Accept it, but don't try to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Alf, uh, the the old English uh, uh, homilist, Alfrich, uh, homiletician. In of, yes, homiletician. In in one of his sermons, uh, wrote, uh, it, "It's better for us to believe in and worship the Holy Trinity than it is to think hard about it." <laughs> I mean, unless your name is David Bentley Hart, Jurgen Moltmann, Fred Sanders, or someone who does systematic theology, in which case, have at it. It's, the, it's enjoy- their job to, to skirt heresy, so the rest of us don't have to worry about it. Well, yeah, yeah, I enjoy reading what they write. I just get bouts of anxiety when I have to try to do likewise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're essentially the guys in the little boat that goes out before the ship, and they kind of put the depths, you know, and they send us back charts. Don't go here. There's a reef. You know, right, that. right. <laughs> awesome. Well, we better finish up our doxology. Um, and most of the time, uh, when I've sung it in church, you finish up the doxology by singing Amen. Um so I'm going to toss this one at you, Michael. What is amen? What are we saying when we say amen? Is that praise too or just a neat syllable that helps us to drag out the song a little bit more and make don't it sound profound? Well, don't forget harmonize. Oh, also yeah, harmonize. It's way easier Lot, to harmonize on the amen part. Lots of whole notes. My understanding is that word means let it be so. Mm. Which means, yeah, it is a it is a type of ascribing praise. It's a type of submission. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's number one, you're not commanding God, you're imploring him, even though you use standard sentences. And, uh, n- number two, you are ultimately submitting your will to his. In other words, let it be so as you want, not as I want. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, that's a sort of praise. I, I really wasn't sure what you were going for on this question, to be honest with you, David. Did, I, I feel like I didn't <laughs> say very much. <laughs> well, I, that, that that's that's kind of what I was, you know, what 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 I was what I was looking for. Nathan that, got fifteen minutes on the Trinity. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to get that much on Amen. <laughs> I don't think I talked fifteen minutes. Well, I do think it is it is worth thinking about. Why is it that 
we should, you know, why, why is it that, you know, in Scripture and then in, in just the language of the church and centuries after, you know, we always seem that it's it seems like such a such an expected such an ordinary thing to express human concurrence with mm-hmm. with a divine purpose or with a with a declaration about um what god is or what god does um you know it, it it's 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 interesting to me i mean how many I, I don't I don't know how many of us think consciously about you know when I say amen I'm basically saying you know and yes I agree <laughs> and yes right, I assent right. to that right mostly <laughs> well, you're I, thinking the hymn is over now yeah yeah <laughs> well I mean linguistically it's a bizarre little thing too because it is transliterated Aramaic. So, I mean, in the Gospel of John, for instance, you know, we've got Jesus speaking in fairly straightforward Koine Greek syntax, but for certain sayings, he prefaces them with Amen, Amen. And, you know, I, I, I once asked our Greek professor in seminary, you know, what does Amen mean? And he says, well, it means Amen. He says, <laughs> he says, <laughs> he says you don't think I'm going to try to pin that sucker down, do you? Awesome. <laughs> So is it like hallelujah? No, because hallelujah we can actually do something with etymologically. Halal is the Hebrew verb for praise, and then the yah syllable is the first syllable of the divine name. Yeah. Uh, amen, I mean, really is something that people just speculate about linguistically. It kind of appears during the simple, the not the sep, the second temple period. There we go. Easy for me to say, right? Uh, and you know, people append it to prayers. Uh, as if everyone knows what it means. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the connotation over the years has become that of worshipful assent, right? So that when Jesus leads off his sayings with Amen, Amen, it's, I I doubly mean this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that that's why, you know, the King James, you know, renders Amen, Amen as verily, verily, right? Yeah. Huh. I so did not know that. Is it- and if he would say it four times, then it'd be the end of row, row, row your boat. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> you're really, uh, you really keep them coming today, don't you, Nathan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, what are you going to do? <laughs> so amen is kind of like, well, uh, church I spent most of the time in growing up. Uh, uh-huh. People the people did not say amen in response to a good point from the uh-huh. pulpit. Right. The, the men in the the men in the church all went. Mm. Yeah, because <laughs> their wife is uh, elbowing them. No, no, no. That it, it was like the it was like the, mm, like gut level. That's a great point. Yeah, you went uh-huh. to a pre-verbal church, mm. <laughs> a pre-linguistic church. Well, no, I think I think I went to a church in which in which you know outwardly saying amen was seen just as. as too demonstrative. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I, and actually, I mean, I, I just thought of another analogy that might be more fitting: the Selah that we see in certain psalms. I mean, oh, yeah. we all know that it's got something to do with musical direction. We're just not sure what it is. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. And by the way, if one of our listeners is an Aramaic scholar, uh, and if the scholarship on Amen has advanced 
in the 10 years since I left seminary, uh, please do let us know. <laughs> yeah, we want, we want to know what we're singing when we get to the end of the doxology and start harmonizing. Right. Yeah, I mean, in Christian song, you're, I mean, the connotation that you guys laid out is absolutely right. I mean, that becomes the... Um, that becomes the working connotation for that bit of untranslatable Aramaic in Christian worship. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've, I've pretty much led us on the, on the walk through, uh, uh, Thomas Ken's doxology that, that, that I'd set out for us, but any more, any more, um, ideas about praise or praise that you want to engage in, um, in it, anything you want our listeners to take away from this episode about doxology. Start with you, Nathan. Sure. Sure. A uh, couple things that I would want to say here at the end. Uh, number one, you know, the, the urge to praise in the Bible is certainly a central and a vital part of discourse with God, if you will, the engagement with the divine, uh, I would just want to be sure to frame that in terms where praise is one of many ways to engage with the divine. Uh, mm -hmm. Remember that there are also laments. Remember that there are also uh, not doxologies, but uh, dogmatics uh, that, you know, although there are some people who get nervous when we make pronouncements about God, that's also part of the picture. Uh, there is also instruction. There is also reproach. There is also all sorts of things, right? Uh, so, you know, I think that one of the things that I always try to emphasize when I teach uh, theology here at Emmanuel College in the, the senior uh, capstone theology course uh, is that, you know, we've got to keep right at our fingertips a full range of ways to engage with God uh, and if we start limiting ourselves, uh, once we start cutting them out and saying those are somehow impious or arrogant or something like that, if the Bible permits them but we forbid them, then what mm. we end up with is a flattened theology uh, that, frankly, I mean, doesn't serve our life with God as fully as theology could. All right. The second thing I would say is that, you know, uh, when we talk about intellectual activity as a praise of God, uh, as David was noting when he was talking about Dunn and Augustine, uh, it is one facet of what it means to live in that life of praise. Uh, you know, I want to make sure that our listeners know that at the same time, I would never want to omit the life of the mind from the life of praise. I would also not want to make the boundaries of intellectual inquiry the boundaries of praise. Uh, mm. it's a far, far richer spectrum than that. And again, if we start cutting things out, we lose out on things that potentially could enrich the way that we exist as God's creations. So that's what I've got to say, David. Awesome. What about you, Michael? Well, I feel bad because uh, Nathan's was actually deep, and I was just going to say I would want our listeners to remember that we see them as a blessing and that we do this podcast not just for ourselves, but in the hopes that something we will say will be of value to somebody out there in the ether. So it, it, it you know, makes our day when you write in like that guy did last year and say that we rekindled his interest in literature and God and all sorts of other stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those are great letters to get. They really are. 
yeah. So they, I know I know we're sometimes really flippant with the letters we get on the air because it's more fun to you know uh, to make fun of yourself than to than to be sincere. But this seems like a time to be sincere and say that hey, we really appreciate your listening. We really appreciate you commenting and sending us letters and whatever else you do. Yeah, we thank God for you. Um. Well, I guess what I what I'd like to people to take away. Um, first, uh, the idea and very very biblical idea, and I think you referred to this once, Nathan, uh, in our one of, one of our uh, fraught with controversy church music episodes. I think <laughs> um, we we were talking about that song. I could sing of your love forever. And uh, I, th- I think it was that one. And, and you mentioned one of your professors saying, well, okay, if you want to sing of God's love forever, then let's just actually sit down and do it and start walking through, you know, sacred history, walk it, walk through God's interactions with his people and praise him for particular things. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I think that's a, a, a healthy thing to do to not just, you know, not just sort of praise God in the abstract, but to, you know, if if you are, you know, if you own the name of Christ, if you own Christ as Lord, um, you know, the God of Moses and the God of Abraham is your God too. And so, you know, when the Psalms uh, praise the Lord for his deliverance from Egypt or various other things, you can do the same kinds of things with your life because your story is also an extension of that story and you can get specific so I praise God that it turned out that Thomas Ken died on this day when we're hap- when we happen to be talking about the most famous thing that he wrote. I I didn't do that. You know, I, I, I thought it was an accident that I was interested in the in in that for this particular episode. Um but it turns out that you know this 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 you know happy accident or happy providence um, happens to occur, and I think that's neat, and I think that's neat in a way that should attract my attention and then draw that attention back to God. So, you know, so praising God for things that, specific things that he's done um, is good, and that's um, that's one thing that we wanted to do today uh, in connection with the podcast. Um, and I think... That is our conversation about doxology. And uh, our 100th episode is almost in the can. Uh, But before we wrap up completely and in the way we usually do, uh, what are we, who's, who's, who's at the helm for the next episode? I am. Yay. What what are we doing? We're going to follow the lead of our enlightenment episode and our realism episode. And this will be one of our periodic 101 episodes in the sense of, being your introduction to something. Michael, I'm already dreading this. And also, it's uh, the 101st episode, so that's a little pun. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing Modernism 101. It's a topic suggested to us by our buddy K Motor. I told him we would do at least one of his suggestions this semester, and here it is. We'll be doing Modernism 101. So say we all. So Nathan will get the chance to talk about art history, which he loves doing. There you go. <laughs> Sweet deal. Well, um, in in this ensuing week, uh, as you as you wait for uh, modernism one on one, if you have any 
thoughts about this episode, uh, any things you want to praise God for or things that we left out, I, I'm not exactly what sure, sure what that letter would look like. Or uh, if Nathan has inadvertently slipped into damnable heresies, which somehow we missed, um, please let us know. You can leave uh, comments on the show notes at our uh, at our blog, uh, christianhumanist.org slash chb when those show notes post. You can email us, email us at thechristianhumanist at gmail.com or you can post on our Facebook wall. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can also give us ratings on iTunes U. Uh, we actually have a pretty decent rating there. I checked a couple days ago and was was well pleased that we are apparently half a star away from five, which is pretty daggum sweet. So push us over the top. Um, in the meanwhile, I wish you the grandest of weeks. Uh, David Grubbs uh, saying farewell on the behalf of uh, Nathan Gilmore and Michael Farmer. I'm leaving you with the words of Luther. Let your sin be strong. Let your faith be stronger. Thank you.